Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. doesn't really feel like a Thursday, but it is, trust me. Um, welcome to All Marine Radio. Yep. And uh, broadcasting live from my uh, my new studio. Yeah. The consolidated, ever-improved studio. Yeah. So, I've been, the last two days, I get kind of, uh, I get kind of maniacal about this kind of stuff. Don't ask me why. It's one of my personal uh, frailties. Or So, two days ago at 5 o'clock in the morning, I decided that I would move my studio. Actually, I've been mulling it over based on a number of things. So I did it. I get on the air Tuesday morning. Since Tuesday, I work till 1 in the morning <laughs> yesterday, uh, for the last two nights uh, to turn this thing into something that uh, that I like. 
And slowly but surely, it has uh, become something that I not only like, but it's way better than what I was broadcasting it. So, uh, so I'm uh, I'm geeked about it. So, uh, good morning to you, and welcome uh, to Almerin Radio. So, I'm sitting here, going through the news, kind of putzing around, getting ready for the show to start, and. Uh, all of a sudden, I look up. It's eight oh four. I'm like, how the hell did that happen? Right. And in the process of rebooting my computer, because I had to, I think I used like maybe conservatively four thousand zip ties in the last forty eight hours. Um. Then I I think that that uh, you, <laughs> um. I'm now like completely happy with it. I, and so I'm actually kind of um, excited. Not kind of. I am excited because I think uh, more and more you're going to see post medic winning doing you know video content. In fact, you know I talked to the Mensa brothers at some point. You know this is going on. This should probably go on YouTube and uh, on a regular basis. And they went. <laughs> I'm like, that's right, man. And I was telling them. I can't remember who said it, Tim or Jeff said, oh, that'll kill it. And uh, I said, you know, when I did, uh, when I did uh, radio, um, you know, you'd meet people out in town. And they'd look at you and they'd say, oh, you're not all what I expected. Like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> like, like who would, And who would say that? And you, and so then I took to saying, yeah, I understand. You're not really what I picture my listeners looking like either. <laughs> and they would say, what? I'm like, yeah, like that. And they would start laughing. Well, I didn't mean it like that. I said, oh, neither did I. But, um, yeah, so we we recorded the Mensa Brothers last night, and you'll hear them here in a few minutes. A lot of stuff in the news, though, so... I want to talk about the news, but you know I've had this i this issue of uh this issue of uh you know what would a a, a race discussion in the country look like uh that you want to participate in that you want to participate in, and so that's kind of in my head right now, and so what i mean i I enjoy those conversations. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, it's in my head, like, I would love to, to talk, have a conversation about that. And so, you know, is it the fact, cause we, cause here's the problem when you begin to, to put this mosaic together, you know, when you look at the database that has police shootings in it, right? On an annual basis, you see fewer and fewer shootings of black Americans, males predominantly. And I mean, I'm talking about single digits in the country. And again, you wouldn't know that by watching the news. But when you go through, and again, this, the, the database, I know because I, look, I, I looked at it 
extensively because uh, I didn't in trying to get my hands around the, the issue. Um, I was stunned by what I found. And so because that's not the popular popular narrative. But anyway, so the, it's it's a Washington Post database. You can also I think the FBI uh, keeps those records as well. So if you start with that and you say, okay, you know, the Michael Brown shooting did not result in any charges against a police officer. So the police officer was justified in taking the action that he took that day. Now, you know, the fallout from it was his friends went on TV and said he was getting on his knees, hands up, don't shoot. Well, that was a lie. That was a lie. And so, anyway, um, fast forward to Derek Chauvin and um, George Floyd. And so, as as we look at, at race in the country, you know, you think about, okay, so why have we been so unsuccessful, you know, and why do we still have inner city poverty when we've when we've thrown trillions of dollars at at that problem? And I think it'd be curious, uh, it'd be interesting to go through and 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 look at how much money has the United States spent on social programs since, let's just say, 1970. I think it'd be interesting. And now here's the question, right? So if if the number of shootings are declining in the country, and they are, I mean, just go check. It's it's a fact, okay? It's a fact. So if the number of shootings are declining, then what's the problem? What's the problem in Chicago, in inner city Chicago, in inner city, um, in inner city Chicago? I'm supposed to go to Chicago. And we're supposed to spend a couple of days there on our way to Patrick's, you know, wedding. And you know what? I'm not really good with that. I I don't, I've, you know, a college student just got shot and killed there. Yeah, just there on vacation messing around. So, like, why would I spend any time in Chicago? Oh, well, that just happens in certain parts of town. Oh, all right. I hope so. So anyway, um, so why have we been so unsuccessful? Is it possible that the approach that we've taken, um, throwing money at this problem, is the wrong approach? Is there better ways to incentivize staying in school? Is there better ways to incentivize not getting pregnant? Right. And 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 working your way out because that's the only way out. So to me, in this discussion, you know, in this discussion that that you really want to have. You know, how do we get there? How do we have a facts based footnoted discussion? About why we are where we are relative to the economic conditions of some Americans. Race aside, but. Well, and but we could talk about race in there too. So I don't care what color you are. If you're in this economic condition, why are you unable to get out? What are what are we doing wrong as a nation that that we can't make this happen? 
And so, I mean, I, I again, I'd love to have that conversation. But that's not the conversation that anybody wants to have. You know, to me, again, this notion that, that, that you live in this incredibly racist country, just travel around the world and come back and tell me what you think. I can tell you what you're going to say. Yeah, I, <laughs> I have to change a lot of things I said. Oh, really? Why? Yeah, um, the United States, pretty solid. Pretty solid. And so, anyway, um, that's in my head. And so, uh, I don't mean to bore you with it, but it's just, when it's in my head, it comes onto the show. That's the way this stuff works. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the news today, so I want to get to that. Uh but I, I have to tell you, my new studio, come on, man. It is the uh it is the apple of my eye. Um yeah, it is, straight up. The apple of my eye. The um so uh yeah, a whole bunch of news. And then the Mensa Brothers, uh it's kind of a show about nothing. It's a little Seinfeld esque. Uh, today, um, I think this is the week. If you're ever going to, um, I think if you're, you know, for most people, this is the vacation week, right? Summer, a lot of things slowing down politically. A lot of people are out of town. They go home for the Fourth of July. They stay home. If you look on TV, a lot of people aren't there. So this is the week where a lot of people take off. So if you're doing that, I hope you have a, I hope you have a great week. Um, the other thing that's in my head is a woman the other night in, in, my, in my seminar asked what I thought was a really interesting question about trauma. Mac, how long does it take people to be able to talk about it? And I... I I said, well, my experience is here weeks, not months. And I know I could see the shock on, on people's lives because her assertion was months. But, I, you know, but in thinking about these things, because I do, um, my thought was, First, I don't know that you ever really get comfortable talking about them. Although I have got comfortable talking about some things. So I think my complete answer would be, I don't know that you ever get comfortable with it. Two, it gets a little bit easier as you do it more often. Three, it's a gradual process relative to trauma. Well, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. There's trauma has concentric circles, right? There's an epicenter of trauma, right? And then things radiate out, radiate out from that. I might be, you know, comfortable talking about the outer rings of trauma, but the inner rings of trauma, not so much. And it takes time as you go through the outer rings 
And what you do is you kind of test things out, like how do people receive this stuff? Will I be ridiculed? Will people make fun of me? Right, which is kind of the same thing. Um, So how does this go? For me, every time I opened up, only good things happened to me. Yeah. And again, I don't know if I'm uh if I'm different than everybody else. I don't think I am. I hope not. Um but every time I do it so the so there's this constant positive uh incentive for me to um to execute that behavior, to open up to talk about my shit. Yeah. And so I, it, it, to me it's very interesting. So it's a um it's a clearing, uh, kind of a evolving clearing picture over time. So one, <clears throat> I don't think comfortable is the right word. Um, I don't know what word is, but I don't think comfortable because I don't know that you are. I think that you, excuse me for yawning. Um, I think that you you learn to do it, and you learn to do it because of the positive reinforcement that you get. And I think it takes a small amount. Uh, you know, you hear people say, oh, thank you for being so vulnerable. I don't think that's what it is. I don't think a person that does this is being vulnerable. I think what they do is they're being moderately courageous. Yeah, moderately courageous. And, um, and again, you know, what is courage? Putting aside your fear and um, and doing whatever needs to be done. And so I think that's what... I think that's what we're talking about is um small acts of courage and as you do as you execute that and you're nervous when you first do and you and and those things come back and they're positive I think it makes subsequent you know events easier but I will say this I mean even for people like me that do it all the time there's certain things that I'm not comfortable talking about still to this day and so I think it's an it's an ever clearing pro, um, endeavor, and I think it 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 certainly, um, and it also it depends who you're with. So there's certain things I'll talk about with some people, certain things I'll talk about with everybody, and then there's certain things that I only talk about with a few people. And I think that's kind of as I've been mulling this about in my head, you know how does. Uh, how does uh when when does somebody feel comfortable you know what's your experience when does somebody feel comfortable talking about trauma and so um yeah comfort comfortable probably the wrong word when does somebody i i think it's it, it's a learned behavior it's and the first time it happens you're you're in an environment that you feel safe and then you do it and then you you're met with all the support uh and affection you know people that stick their hand out and say hey I just want to know how 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 much what you said moved me and how much it made me think thank you and <laughs> so you've been hiding this for years decades in some cases and all of a sudden you kind of say okay here we go and you do it and then you know you receive this positive reinforcement so then it makes you want to do it again and then you know you think well maybe i should tell them this part of the story and so um 
I think it's a picture that depends on the situation and it depends on where you're at. So on this path that is post-traumatic winning, it's very interesting, uh, kind of a, a simple but deep question. And so uh, anyway, uh, we'll check the news here right now. And then the Mensa Brothers will join me here in a little bit. Today, a show about nothing. That's what that is. So good morning to you. The United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. This is dedicated to a lady named Anne, who um, asked that question, made me think a little bit. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, the, the the job of being a guide as people kind of go down this path is, is really cool. And, and this group, I mean, every one of them has been referred to somebody who's by somebody who's been in the group and told them, hey, you need to do this. So it's it's very different. It's interesting. Interesting. Um and then it's also dedicated to, uh, you know, my uh, my new studio. I have to, yeah, I have to, I have to name my studio. You know, uh, who would I name it? You know, who would I name it for? I have to give that some thought. So uh, to those two uh, ends, uh, today's program is dedicated. <laughs>
you're betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore, so young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day, and Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. You know, one of my favorite things to do in life is to play like office arts and crafts. Yeah, I don't know. I don't normally share that with too many people, but I will stay up all night working on this kind of shit. Yeah, I kid you not. It's ridiculous. We'll check the weather, and as I said, there's a number of interesting stories in the news today. Currently, it is sunny and 82 in the Quantico area down the coast of Camp Lejeune. They're getting weather from the uh, hurricane that's off the east coast of. And so uh, we'll check out the weather conditions at Camp Lejeune. Uh, tropical storm warning. Remember, there's an R in the word warning. So that means it's real. It's happening. Right? So tropical storm warning in effect. Uh, locations affected Jacksonville, Richlands, and Half Moon. Peak wind forecast between 30 and 40 with gusts up to 55. The window for the tropical storm force winds is through the next few hours. So you, you got that going for you. A tornado watch is in effect till noon, well, 3 p.m. Eastern time. There's two tornado watches in effect. There's a tropical weather statement and a storm warning. So, yes, yeah, severe weather at uh, Camp Lejeune. Uh, sunny in 93, out in 29 Palms. Camp Pendleton, sunny in 70, so warming up in Southern California. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy in 70. Okinawa, clear dark in 80. In the Philippines, adjacent to the South China Sea, it is dark cloudy in 84. And in Darwin, in the Northern Territory of Australia on the coast. It is uh, dark, cloudy, and 71. At the home of Almerin Radio right now, it is It's going to be warmer here today. It is mostly sunny and 70. Yeah, we're normally about 5 degrees cooler than that. And then that. Looking today uh, for a high here in the Costa Mesa, Newport Beach area of Southern California, where it's been, you know, extremely mild. Um, 
all uh, all year. Uh, looking for a high today of 78 on Friday, 79 on Saturday, 79 and on Sunday, 77, Monday, 77. So um, they've dialed that down. If you look on my phone when, you know, they show you like the five days of weather, temperatures and stuff, that is um, much warmer. 82, 82, 81, 81. And that stuff down from yesterday. Um, top stories today. Uh, I told you there's a bunch of interesting ones. And uh, in early bird, uh, the top story is F-35 fighter costs are out of control, according to the General Accounting Office. Um, the failure to control F-35 aircraft cost overrun should force the Pentagon to scale back its fleet of advanced warplanes unless it can get find new savings, a government watchdog agency report said. The development of the advanced F-35 fighter, the most costly weapon system in Defense Department history, has, for, has faced steadily rising costs for years. And while the military has tried to reduce expenses, those efforts have produced limited results, the GAO said in a release yesterday. The, D, the DOD's inability to arrest the increases in F-35 sustainment costs to make progress towards the services established affordability constraints is due in part to the department's not having a clear strategic approach across the F-35 program, the GAO said. So, um, the Pentagon plans to procure nearly 2,500 F-35s with an estimated life cycle cost exceeding $1.7 trillion, the GAO said. That's right, with a T. About $1.3 trillion of those costs are related to operating and sustaining the aircraft. That's a lot of money, man. Not going to lie to you. So that is in the news. Uh, next story in the news is Stars and Stripes. A report, the Army to make COVID vaccines mandatory as early September 1. This is from the Tribune News Service. The Army is directing commands to prepare to administer or minister mandatory COVID-19 vaccines as soon as September 1, Army Times is reporting. The Department of the Army headquarters has sent an executive order to commands that the vaccines will become mandatory on or about September of 2021, pending full Food and Drug Administration licensure. So that'll be interesting because you have a fair amount of people in the military I think military vaccination rates, um, I know Marine Corps is the lowest. I saw that in a hearing recently. Um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. And again, um, I understand the pub, from the public health perspective. But if you're a young person, why do I want an optional vaccine that doesn't really impact anybody in my age group? And then the answer is for the greater good, because you would be a, you could be a carrier and give it to other people. So, uh, be an interesting discussion, and expect to see that go to court. Uh, the the defense department, I'm sorry, the department headline: VA to announce changes in multi-billion-dollar overhaul of electronic health record system. Now, the reason I want 
I, I, I wanted to take a look at the story is this has been going on forever. The VA and the DOD cannot do health records that speak to each other. And this has been going on forever. Ohio man just sent me recommendations. Yeah, if you have recommendations on what to name the studio. The blank, blank leadership chamber or hall instead of instead of studio. A, Strong Vincent. I'm a huge fan of Strong Vincent. B, John Buford. Uh, see John Bobo. Um, got to know John Bobo awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously. Um, I got to know him through Jack Riley. D. Wesley Fox. E. Bob Barrow. And the, or, I'm sorry, E. Bob Barrow. F. Gospo. Now, I would have to tell you, out of all of those, this would surprise nobody, but I would lean to the gospel <laughs> chamber of leadership the gospel studio and and here's why because so much of post-traumatic winning has to deal with mental health and that interview with gospel man that, those are the people that I talk to all the time guys like him have taught me all the things that are in post-traumatic winning women like him have taught me things like that so if you have a recommendation right now Gospo, um, the Almarine Radio, Gospo Studio. Because um, he's just a, oh, man, I haven't even fucking told you. Oh, I got a story to tell you. <laughs> I'll tell it to you later before I do the Mensa Brothers. Um, but, it, like, um, it happens to me yesterday. Minding my own business. Again, like I always do. Minding my own business. And then something crazy happens to me relative to post-traumatic winning. And all marine radio. Anyway, back to this story about electronic health records. Okay, um, The Department of Veterans Affairs completed a review of its, listen to this, $16 billion project overall, its electronic health records system. After hearing concerns from staff in Spokane, Washington, where the new system first went live, staff at the Man Grand Staff VA Medical Center in Spokane complained about technical issues with the new system that were affecting patient care and employee morale. When he took office, VA Secretary Dennis McDonough announced a 12-week pause of the rollout to review the issues. The review has ended, and McDonough has ex- is expected to announce changes to the rollout process within the next week. Quote, the strategic review is complete and has already been instrumental in charting a path forward. We're very close to finalizing the next steps, including changes in the deployment effort. So, anyway, um, it's been going on forever. So, there's an update. Um, here's another story that we've been following for at least two years since it, since it exploded into the public eye. Military housing company to spend $72 million upgrading communities at five air bases. 
one of the major companies participating in the Defense Department's beleaguered privatized military housing program, announced Tuesday it will spend $72 million over five years for improvements at five Air Force installations. The plan improvements at each installation are designed with residents in mind to not only enhance the look and feel of the communities, but also ensure the housing is supporting today's service members and their families, as well as future generations of military families, says Jerry Schmidt, Senior Vice President for Lendlease Communities, who oversees Air Force properties. And again, this has been a shit show, and it continues to be in the news where lawsuits continue to be filed by military families talking about mold, talking about rodents, and that they can't get any help. It is fucking pathetic. Um, Wall Street Journal. You know, Grant Newsham and I talked about this the other day. So they just had a company. Um, there's another ride-sharing, ride-hailing service called Didi, D-I-D-I. That's Chinese company. And they were going to list themselves publicly. And they did last week. And yet China's SEC or some variant of that said, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, okay, wait a minute. When a communist country, when their SEC says, yeah, we're not ready for this, what does that mean? <laughs> right? It's it's so, let me get my secret decoder ring out and figure it out. So there's an interesting story about Chairman Xi's interest in regulating this, okay, regulating this. So anyway, again, I don't think the hypothesis is completely wrong, right, that as China gets more integrated in the world's economy, people will look at the draconian security measures that they live under and they say, hey, you know, I don't want to have this anymore. Okay, but I don't know that that, that that is a quick evolution. I think it's a slow one, sadly enough. Uh, two headlines from uh, USNI News. SecNav nominee Del Toro will appear before Senate next week ahead of budget markup. So Senate will get back in action and come back from a recess. And so the uh, Secretary of the Navy nominee, uh, Mr. Del Toro, will head up there and maybe... I don't know what they're going to do, have a hearing on his, his nomination. Uh, also, the HMS Queen Elizabeth enters the Middle East after transiting the Suez Canal. Um, and the carrier Eisenhower uh, is uh, is now operating in the Atlantic. Um, the Queen Elizabeth are in the Red Sea after transiting the Suez Canal. And I believe they're on their way to the Indian Ocean and then to the Western Pacific. So that's news. Uh, from Marine Corps Times. Marine Corps changes picture policy for tattoos. Now, this is written by Phil Athlete. The If you want to get a story that gets a lot of readership, write tattoo stories or UFO stories. Uh, you'll become big. The Corps will no longer require many Marines to take pictures with their tattoos when submitting packages for reenlistment or special duty assignment. 
You know, you have a picture of your mom, your girlfriend, you know, whatever the hell it is. Um, Southern Border Mission is going to extend for another year, right? Interesting that Democrats are a part of this. They hated the idea. Hmm. When the audio and the video won't sync up. Here's another interesting story. Proposal would push VA leaders to address the issue of extremism in veteran communities. Wait a minute. Isn't a veteran a citizen? So, like, what's the VA going to do about it? House lawmakers want Veterans Affairs officials to start talking to veterans about misinformation and extremism online. Included in the House Appropriations Committee proposal for more than $270 billion in department funding next fiscal year is language focused on, quote, the unique vulnerabilities that veterans face online. To to include targeting of veterans by extremist organizations and groups focused on sowing division in the military community. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So the VA, you know, the good news is that they don't do too much that's very right very quick, so nobody's going to be impacted for a long time. Whatever the hell they, they come up with. Uh, top story is an early bird, and I'll tell you an interesting story. Troops in Iraq have come under um, attack every day this week. So that is in the news in response to drone strikes, evidently, in the region. So yet to report any casualties. Uh, next story. I should get Jeff Zazulowitz on. Maybe I will next week. He's one of my favorite writers. Um and he uh, writes about Navy issues most of the time. Headline, why can't the Navy keep its surface warfare officers? Hmm. For one Navy lieutenant, there are certain aspects of life as a new surface warfare officer or SWO that can't be beat, such as globe-spanning deployments and pulling into exotic ports. Quote, people join the Navy to see the world. A Navy lieutenant with eight years under her belt told Navy Times, but that's only nine months of your entire cycle of the ship. For surface warfare officers at her level, even those nine months deployed are full of endless paperwork, assorted busy work, and zero sleep. In addition to the man, to manning shortfalls and frenzied operation tempo that plagues surface fleet sailors of all ranks, quote, it's a shitty job, to be honest, said the lieutenant, who requested anonymity because she was not authorized to speak about her experiences. Quote, you see the pilots who get to fly, and they love flying. Commanding officers love driving the ship, but me, as a middle manager on the ship, I don't sleep, and the CO sleeps less than that. Swoes are the backbones of the Navy, Navy surface fleet. You know, I have a problem with this fucking 
you know, I don't sleep. Let me just tell you, if we followed you around and you worked 100 hours, that means you have 10 hours a day every fucking day to sleep and do whatever the fuck you want. I just, this Crimea River bullshit pisses me off. Anyway, back to, the report found that swo retention has several causes, with some facets appearing more fixable than others, but it remains unclear whether Big Navy will be amendable, amenable to altering the SWO career path which has steamed along largely unchanged for more than 100 years. Surface warfare officers leave the community earlier in their careers and at a higher rate than those in other type communities, such as the submarine and aviation sector. All told, just 33% of of surface warfare officers remain in the community after, after a decade of service. And that is compared to 45% of officers in other Navy communities. At the same time, just 12% of female SWOs remain in the community after that time compared with 39% of male SWOs. So it's a really long article about that. So interesting, interesting stuff. Um, Next story in early bird. Taliban's rapid advance across Afghanistan puts key cities at risk of being overrun. Well, let me tell you, that's where you're going to see what you're going to see. So the Mensa brothers have are on record as saying it will go, you know, the way it, to the way it was, which is the Taliban will control the areas. Now the question is, will they assault the urban areas, or will they cut deals? So we shall see. Now, let me give you the um, cities that supposedly are in jeopardy. Quote, the Taliban suffered casualties and were defeated. Hasamuddin Shams, the provincial governor, said in the video as explosions rumbled in the background. Hours later, Amal Omar Shinwari, a spokesman for Afghan security forces, said the city's perimeter had been secured. The assault on Baghis comes as the Taliban has besieged the capital of several provinces across the country by overrunning surrounding districts, according to interviews with local officials. I'm just looking for the list. Here's another quote. It was exactly like a dam breaking down, said Abdul Aziz Beg, a member of the Baggies Provincial Council, who was in the city when the assault began. Beg said the breach was triggered by the deputy police chief deserting his post. After he fled, the Afghan police staffing key checkpoints protecting the city abandoned their post. Yeah, you know, nobody's dying for Afghanistan. Right? They don't get paid enough. Um, I'm just trying to see. I'm looking for a list of cities and provinces, and I don't see it. So anyway, uh, another article about Afghanistan. 
And then um, unlikely coalition of veterans backs Biden on ending the war. That in the New York Times. And number five, southern border mission continues. Um, For military times relative to overseas operations, two minor injuries and the latest rocket attack on Al-Assad Air Base housing U.S. personnel. And then there's an article in Foreign Policy entitled, If the Taliban Win the War, Can It Still Lose the Peace? And again, um, again, the Taliban is a confederation of dudes who have armies, who want control of Afghanistan because they want control of Afghanistan. So, I, I mean... It's a financial thing. It's their country. And so that's the way that thing works. So the question is, do they want to run the whole country? Jeff Kenney's fond of saying that, you know, if they're smart, they'll cut deals with the people that run the cities, allow them to run the cities. They'll run the countryside. They'll rule the country. And they don't need the ass pain of the cities because that's how they screwed it up when they took control last time. It didn't function. And people got pissed. So we'll see what happens. Um, just a quick story before the Mensa brothers join us, um, and that is this: the um, yesterday I'm I'm working on this studio, whatever the hell I'm going to name it. Okay, and so um, yeah, you can hear airplanes better out here in my garage. I mean the studio. So anyhow, um, and I, I get this email, and I look, and I'm like, hmm, that thing's like war and peace. It's, it's like, I'm, and I, it, I get it. I see that I've received it, and um, in both like the live at allmarineradio.com um, email address and the mac.allmarineradio.com uh, email address. So I'm thinking some like Nigerian scam, right? That wants to fall in love with me if I'll send them, you know, a lot of money. So anyhow, um, and just for the record, I've resisted all those attempts heretofore. Um, so, um, but I start reading it and, and the guy who writes it is from Texas and he finds all Marine radio when he's out running. And he said, I didn't want to listen to music. So I I wanted to listen to a podcast. And so I, I, Typed in Marine and I typed in Marine Corps and All Marine Radio came up. And so I started listening. I just want you to know, you know, what a positive impact it's had on me. Your discussions about, you know, living with trauma and things like that have changed my life. And I'm like, you know, again, these things happen to me, like spontaneously happen in my life. And so this, this email is here. Let me count them. 
1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 paragraphs. Exactly. Like, what the fuck? So I, so I see his phone number on it in, in like, the, the signature block. So I call it. He doesn't answer it. So I email him. Hey, man, call me. So my phone rings. And I'm like, first of all, if you ever send me another fucking email that long, I'll kill you. And um, I, so I have this great conversation. His name's Jose. And just a, he's just a great guy. And again, telling me the story that I've heard literally thousands of times. And that is this. Um, you know, things happened in my life. And I struggled. And I went and I sought help. And I didn't get too much. And I'm isolated by myself, trying to cope. And I found you. I found All Marine Radio and these discussions you have. And I just want to say thank you, man. And I said, fuck thank you, man. You need to help me. <laughs> and so I had a great conversation with Jose. And uh, just a great just a great guy, like, you know, like the rest of us. And, uh, you know, just in, in struggling with life. And this... this this flat black traumatic wisdom that I talk about on a regular basis um, changed his life. I said, hey, man, stand by. Stand the fuck by because if you thought your life changed before, it's going to change in a huge way now. I kid you not. And so just uh, just an absolutely wonderful conversation with a great guy. And I said, I want you to come help me um, do this. And he's like, all right. So he's going to hop in a seminar. And, uh, and then, um, then we're going to hopefully do good things. He, he works in education. I said, I'm, I want to do a version of this program. Oh, here's the other funny part. So we're talking. He says, yeah. He says, you know, sometimes I'll have it on when my, when my class comes in. He's a high school teacher. And I said, oh, that's not a fucking, <laughs> that's not a good fucking idea. And he starts laughing. He said, no, man, the kids love it. The kids love it, especially when you guys argue and you start yelling, cussing at each other and shit. They laugh their ass off. He said, but they listen. They listen. And he said, and if you're talking about trauma when, when I have it on, I'll leave it on. And then, you know, kids come up and they want to talk to me. So so I, I would love to do a version of post-traumatic winning. Um, uh, at a high school a pilot program and watch what happens. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Young kids deal with this shit all the time. Um, they have friends that are struggling. And, you know, when you can give them a tool that helps people get out of the way. Yeah. If you have, um, if you have, A recommendation for what I should name the studio. Um, let me know. I'm taking I'm taking applications or recommendations, whichever. All right. With all that said, um, I told you there's a lot of stuff in the news. Um, so, with all that said, uh, good morning to you. Uh, the second hour starts with the Mensa brothers doing a show about nothing. Yeah, a show about nothing, kind of like Seinfeld. 
And uh, without further ado, this is they. Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. It is Thursday, uh, at least in most of the country, and uh, that means we have to do all Mensa radio, all Mensa all the time. Uh, joining us from the north side of Las Vegas, Mr. Vegas himself, uh, Jeff Kenny. Jeff, yes, this, th- th- this is the most relaxed I think I've ever seen you. You're smiling, you're outside. I finally unasked that place in San Clemente, but, so I'm, I'm free. You're free. Yes, and you're taking you're taking the week off. Yes, yes, I am. Today, seven July, is the 46th anniversary of me arriving at Paris Island. <clears throat> so wow. there's that too. The 46th, did you say? Yeah, yeah, 1975. Wow. Up That's... until that point, I was 17. That was probably the most traumatic day of my life at that point. <laughs> Come on. Until the eighth, then things got worse, and they continued getting worse until about. I don't know, the 14th, and then you're kind of like, all right, I'm used to this. What is uh, – we'll get to everybody else in a second, but since you brought it up, what is your most vivid memory of boot camp? As a, You were 17? Yeah. Your most – the thing that I don't – maybe dented your head the most, the thing that has stuck with you the longest, what experience at Paris Island in 1974? Five. Five. Well, it was the total lack of any personal time at ever at all, or privacy, or anything like that. You're, you know, from the time you got rousted till the time they fucking put you to bed, and even beyond, you were like, uh, you were basically under the control of somebody else. So. And you thought about you thought about that as a seventeen year old. Yeah, I thought. not the first week or so, but after a while. So, like, things like on Sunday, I would go to Mass, even though I wasn't, I mean, I kind of thought, oh, no more of this fucking Mass shit when I joined the Marine Corps, but because <laughs> uh, my mom made us go to Mass every Sunday, you know? And, uh, <laughs> but then I, I went, gladly. I would have gone to Mass, I would have gone to Protestants, anything, <laughs> you know? And when, they, and when the time came to sing, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, <laughs> I fucking sang my bony ass off, man. You know? <laughs> um, so there was that. Then there was the shock of being treated like that. Wait, Getting, it, it, explain to everybody why you went to Mass. To have a little bit of time not having somebody in my ass. <laughs> that is that is as old as recruit training itself. Standing yeah. standing room only in anything religious. Yeah, and, uh, and then I kept getting... Um, when I was in there, I had glasses, and the first night we were with our guys who were going to train us, my glasses flew off, and they broke. Uh-oh. 
I had these like granny glasses type thing, you know, civilian glass before. So when we went to, to do the med shit. Corman goes, uh, who here wears glasses but don't have them? So sir, the private broke his glasses. You fucking asshole. Even the Corman treats you like shit. And I go, but the private well, saved the piece that broke into two pieces. Well, hold on, hold reason, on. Are you a private then? Aren't you a recruit? Private. Yeah, private. Your pay grade is private. Oh, right. And uh, and you said, sir, the private. You didn't say, sir, the recruit. You didn't? So, no. What, what do they say now? Private. What do they say now? Do they still say know. the private? My kids said they say, sir, the private requests permission to make an emergency standing head call, i.e. take a piss. So, <laughs> sir, the, <laughs> sir, the private don't know. So the private was instructed but has forgotten. Right. So I saved the pieces, and that impressed them. And the drill instructor, one of the assistants, psychopath, he fucking looks over at me. And then I was made the guide. And then every fucking week for the next 11 weeks, every other week I was the guide. And then I'd be fired in ignominy. And, uh, and then they'd have a hire a couple other guys. they say, well, who do you bitches want to be the fucking guide? And one of these motherfuckers said, sir, we want Private Kenny. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, so The people's choice. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, – I didn't even shave. I mean, I go in and put uh, shaving cream in my face, but I just fucking wash it off because I didn't shave. You know? So. Well, I mean, hey, that makes getting through the head call in the morning quicker, yes? Oh, yeah. And then take – there's no fucking doors. just a bunch of shitters in a, lo- a row. Hey, well, wait so a minute. Why would you put – sh- I take a shit with another guy, you know, sitting there. As a matter of fact, seven other guys sitting there. Yeah, that's a different experience. I, I didn't experience that till 29 – Just did it and get fucking ass out of there. Till 29 Palms. When there's – what is there? About 50 shitters online out of Count Wilson. Yeah, but they're little – but they're porta johns This isn't no – No, 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 no. In the um, in the shitters, at least when I was there, there was they'd ripped out all the stalls if there ever was any, and it was just shitters online. There had to be some yeah, prob- the wooden ones, wooden top ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I remember. The, the, I, I remember the first time I walked around the corner and saw that. <laughs> I was like, "What the fuck?" And then you get you're around the corner and you look and you're like, "Hey, Gunny, what's up?" <laughs> Like, and it's like, is this a samurai violation talking to somebody when they're taking a shit? But it's like, what else do you say? You make eye contact? Like, hey, sir. When Will and me, Will and me were both at Camp Adam in Israel, and I think it was the the Artie guy, the the captain, I think it was the Artie CO, because our BLT, he dropped his fucking nine mil in the shit. Remember that, Will? (laughs) I did that once with a cell phone. That camp Adam was great. That you know, incidentally, you know, that train in Israel. It was an infantry camp. It was a uh, you know, hilly kind of California league, southern, you know, Pendleton looking place. A lot of great ranges, and you could do whatever you want. You know, the Israelis say, "Do what you want," you know. But uh, <laughs> so you know, but uh, I remember that. I remember the fucking uh, that uh, our FO goes, "Hey, did you hear about Captain So and So?" No, what about him? He dropped his fucking nine mil in the shit in the shit. <laughs> No, Camp Adam was an awakening because I had a uh, an Israeli sergeant who I think was 19 years old. Right, I'm a first lieutenant X over rifle company, pretty hardcore unit. And the guy says, uh, "Will uh, you should make sure that these men don't shoot those men?" 
hey, buddy, I got it. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's when I figured out, you know, that that they truly are God's chosen people. Because God gave them Arabs to be their enemies. I mean, yeah. they were a third-rate military, but military is all about relative. It's not yeah. a absolute yeah. scale. And they were relatively a thousand times better than their enemy. Sure. Um, and I, and I thought about that. But it takes a while to learn that, though, right? Because, again, the mystique of the IDF, and then you go, you encounter them, oh, yes. and you work with them, and you're like, am I just seeing them? Am I getting a bad <laughs> yeah. statistical sample? And then you find out that the same no, thing that my, my roommate in college told me about, you know, winning fights. You know, he was a bouncer. And I said, so what's the secret? I mean, you don't lose your fights. First, be but, less drunk than the guy you're fighting. Well, he said opponent, opponent selection. Yeah. <laughs> so, so fast forward 20 years in Israel and I'm sitting in the uh, chief of staff's office and the deputy chief of staff had been the uh, Israeli attache of the U.S. So I knew him when I was in the joint staff and uh, we were going with the consular general out into the West Bank and we got held up at a checkpoint, which they're just not supposed to do. And we've, you know, they've, they've identified the cars, they pre-clear it. We got held this checkpoint for about 30 minutes. And a couple of days later, we're in the chief staff's office, and uh, the general on what brings it up. And the uh, the Israeli chief of staff, you know, the general was an Air Force guy, the Israeli deputy chief of staff says, well, Will, you know, uh, the checkpoints, uh, they're very, very hot and boring. And I'm like, Dan, cry me a river about standing on a hot, boring <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, Will always got those jobs on that float. We, the lieutenants... The platoon commanders, we got to think of all the snazzy ways of doing live fire everywhere from Spain, the fucking Corsica, France, Israel, Egypt. But Will had to make it happen with the locals. So Will's there, and he he's basically putting the arm on these Egyptian guys. And he'll always be like, they're afraid of him, man. The, the Turks are afraid. And then, of course, he had to go on that thing I told you about with the two cooks, Alcala and Akeem. <laughs> he was like... Rooster Cogburn going after the fucking, you know, <laughs> tracking those two morons down. And uh, it was just funny because we were like, you know, and here's Will. Yeah, I'm dealing with this fucking Egyptian guy. I'm dealing with this, you know, is the Turks and all this shit. It was just funny. And, and, was, good. and, and, and Will, and the it best part about funny. that is <laughs> Will has absolutely no experience doing it, right? Right? <laughs> First time. And he's just, he's, he's learning as he goes. Well, let's, uh, you never would have known it, man. He was like fucking. Uh, That's the best. Fucking General Slim or something. <laughs> General Slim. All right. First of all, we need the current weather in Las Vegas, in North Las Vegas. What all is right, it? It is cloudless, oh. and it is now 111 degrees. <laughs> and it is That's just cooler. Just for but the record, it it's 7 o'clock at night on Wednesday, uh, <laughs> in spite of me saying it was Thursday earlier. Um, all right, Timmy in McAllen, Texas. Uh, Tim, first of all, how are you? Doing fine, Matt. Thanks, give me Thanks a, for asking. Give, you bet. You bet. Uh, give me an update on the current temperature in McAllen, Texas. What uh, What's the weather doing? Uh, whether it's cloudy, overcast, been raining for a couple of days, it's 95 degrees and wow. muggy. Sounds beautiful. Will, mm -hmm. where, where are you? I'm in Dallas. And what's the weather like in Dallas? 
It's uh, 86. Oh, really? And uh, interestingly, 40 years ago today was my first day at the Naval Academy. Wow. It is like a shiny, shining day in the land of the shitbag. Mm-hmm. You there bet. it was, July the 7th, the, uh, 1981. Hot as ball. <laughs> yeah. And think about coming from upstate New York and going to Annapolis. Shit. I couldn't figure out why all these bugs would be crawling down my back. It took me a week to figure out how I was sweating. I had never sweated <laughs> like that. Yeah. What uh so give us a signature give us a signature moment or memory from uh being a uh plebe, a little plebe recruit that summer. Yeah. You, you go in there in the morning and you line up and they uh you know, they check you in and uh and then you sort of wander around, and they're gradually giving your uniforms during the day. And it's reasonably relaxed, and they teach you how to salute. they got to teach you to do a couple of facing movements because they have a big formation at the end of the day. And that's when all the parents are there, and that's the last time you see them. My parents weren't there. I got an airplane. I went down there the day before. And so, you know, it's all pretty routine, not that bad. And you go down and eat dinner. And uh, all the upper class just get up and leave. And you're sitting there, 1,000, 1,300 new people. And you're actually not really sure what you're supposed to do. But eventually, you got to find your way back to wherever your room is. And I remember we had never really reconned how to get back and forth. You know, you're always just following along. And we, I just started following some guys. And it seemed like at every corner there was a maniac just <laughs> in your face. And it went on for like a half an hour. And I was on the fourth or the sixth floor, which is only the fourth deck, from the chow hall. And it took us like a half an hour to find our way up there. And I found my way back into the room. And... uh I stood in there for a second, and this insanity is still going on out in the passageways. And I realized, you know what? Nobody laid a finger on me. I said, how bad could it be? It was terrifying for 30 <laughs> minutes. Absolutely terrifying. And then you realize it's just a bunch of people going to yell at you. And that's what they did for the whole summer. And it wasn't always pleasant, but, you know, it, it was just – that was a very signature moment for me. Uh, that and, and who's, looking in the who's, mirror who's and not do, recognizing yourself. Who's doing the yelling? All the first class, all the seniors. God. And it's, uh, yeah, it's turn around, go back. I'm already lost. Uh, it seemed like they had the lights were flickering in the passageways in some places. It was bizarre. It's like nothing you've ever experienced unless you've been to boot camp. Uh, yeah. But it was bizarre. And you saw people absolutely breaking down. Right then and there. Uh, yeah, it was crazy, though. Tim, what about... You could give us both, you know, naval... Uh, your experience at the Naval Training Center and uh, also your experience at OCS. Do you have a signature defining moment in either one of them? No, well, yeah. Oh, Old Doug Lynch. Yeah, the beginning of OCS was quite amusing for A, being a prior corpsman, strike number one, B, 
being an active duty uh, general's kid, strike number two, you think they take easy on general's kids. That's exactly the exact opposite of what they do. And so, yeah, that that, that first evening was 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 quite delightful. Hey, man, Navy boot camp was 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 pretty easy. It it was it was disappointingly lax. There was all kinds of free times and ability to get in trouble, and there were female recruits right there with you. It was it was it was bad. What you, and bad. You, what year was that? Nineteen seventy nine. Nineteen seventy nine. Wow. Yeah, April nineteen seventy nine. Wow. April fourth, I think. I might be. I might have that wrong. I don't have it. It's not as memorable to me as as it is to Jeff. It's not like being at Paris Island. I feel like I was kind of like being a cheese dick going to Orlando. But I was going to go to the Seals, so that was going to be okay. Keep in mind, nobody knew who they were back then. It was a secret. But uh, you know, I never passed the dive physical. I was destined never to do it. So uh, there you go. I think the signature moment at, for me at OCS is a story I've told before, but we're running on um, on the birthday, and uh, my platoon commander must have gone out and got hammered. And uh, yeah, and you, when you run at OCS, you run. It's not like you know, it's <laughs> not like it's not like the recon shuffle in the fleets trying to pick up all your stragglers and shit. Um, it's like you go. So we had gone up into the hills where the fartlet course is, and we're cruising around, and we're coming back. I right, we went five or six miles, and we're cruising. And we get back to Brownfield, and my my platoon commander was a captain by the name of Tom Rankin. He's a recon guy, Vietnam guy. And uh, he just, all of a sudden, he stops and bends over, and he pukes, brown puke everywhere. They must have got, like, after the Berman in a big way, and he's puking, and we just go, you know, we we keep going, we go running by, you're like, whoa, check it out, Captain Rankin, he's done, right? And, you know, we just keep going, and we're going down towards the confidence course, we're going to hang a left and a left by the chow hall, and then we're going to finish up, you know, out in front of the CP and whatever. And I don't know how many, 30 seconds later, 45 seconds later, he came running back. He has puke dripping down his chin. It's on his hands and arms. And you're, and he's like, where the fuck are you going without me? And we're in the company formation, so it's not like we can stop. He goes, where the fuck? And I remember he's running by with puke dripping off him. And I remember thinking, you know, when you throw up like that, you're supposed to lay down and somebody gets you a washcloth, right, and some ginger ale <laughs> and, some, <laughs> and, some, and, some, and some crackers. And, I mean, honestly, this is like – it's not an epiphany, but – so – and now this guy's running, and he's screaming at us with puke everywhere. And then I remember thinking, the craziest motherfuckers here are the ones that are in charge. Like, that's the Marine Corps. These fucking people are the craziest fucks I've ever met, and they're in charge of the whole thing. And I thought, you know, you know – into your hands, I command my spirit, right? I mean, look, right? it's like these fucking people, you know. But it was, I mean, I, I, for me, it was like the rules as I knew them don't apply in this organization, right? They just don't. Ruthless, relentless pursuit of whatever the fuck we're doing. And I, I'll never forget Tom Rankin with puke coming down of his chin on his shirt. Right, finishes the run, and then acts like nothing happened. <laughs> hey, see me in my office, you. But like, I guess that just didn't even happen. It was awesome, though. 
It was awesome. So, anyway, um, there you go. What was your favorite? Right, we were all instructors at the basic school. What was your favorite event to do? Your favorite event, Will? Um, uh, in general, anytime the weather was bad, I liked it. What? When it was like really cold, raining, nasty out. Because uh, you really got to separate the wheat and the chaff pretty easily. Particularly when it was cold and wet, or cold, wet, and then frozen. Yeah. And I saw... <laughs> I saw some tough, tough lieutenants at that time. Guys that really impressed me. Uh, one guy, I think you knew him, Jeff. He was prior enlisted guy. Pat Schmidt. Yeah, that Pat sounds Schmidt. right. Yeah, good I mean, friend. Hey, one of those uh, twenty-five degree. Yeah. You we went to move, Colorado with me. Yeah. Night movement, sort of, and this lieutenant was just. Yeah, relentless. Former drone. I really liked it. Yeah, he's former drone instructor. Yeah, and I, I just remember the, the problem with the basic school is you weren't out in the field for duration. You know, the war was the longest duration, three, five, seven days, whatever it was. Right. And when I first started, there was only three days. So you never truly wore anybody out. But you could really separate people out uh, with weather. And I'll tell you, my favorite technical event was doing Call for Fire up on the hill. It just had a lot of fun. I did it every single time. And, uh, you know, by the time I was done, I could, like, hit the tape player. Same jokes came out. They were funny every time because they hadn't worked. (laughs) But it was, was like, good technical training because all of a sudden they were doing something that, like, they imagined that they were going to be able to do. You know, artillery, mortars, it's right there in front of you. You can see when I do this, it moves over there, kind of a thing. So that was good. But I really like being out there in bad weather. Tim, your favorite event? <laughs> My favorite event would have been the Room of Pain because I came up with that thing. So I, I, I really enjoyed doing that. I second Will on the weather, though. Technical, it was that it was that uh, the two-and-a-half range attack. I loved doing that goddamn yeah, thing. Yeah. I, I, I was – I was I wasn't the uh, primary. I was just always a safety officer. But well, hell, we had it. We, we took all of us to run it, and I loved doing that too because we used to have a big old fucking breakfast, and uh, that was like, that was actually a good time for the instructors too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I we did. all got together. I took that from Freddie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's that what I was, was say. my favorite technical investment. Facts two point five. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. How about you, Joe? Favorite event? Well, that was it was because. The way things evolved, FEX 2.5, we did the squad at night attack, and then we did the uh, platoon at night attack. And we lieutenants had to move everything from from uh, you know Camp Barrett out to R5, from R5 to R7, and then um, wait the uh, R- no not R R11 uh, range 11 R11 R11 R11, and then in there in that time we did the uh, chaos FEX, and so. Uh, and Dr. G, D. G. Viani would come out. So I got to see the lieutenants doing, they were doing hard training, but then they were doing, they had to move all those fucking pits targets by hand from where they were spread out in the ranges and then load them on the trucks. I remember their little hands getting smashed by, uh, you know, shit coming down. And, and, big points. Yeah. And then, uh, then 
we put them out, you know, in the defense, and they get hit with that shit. And I remember I was snapping Joe Rutledge in to take that over for me. And we had this guy named Captain Salonica. I'll never forget him. He's a reserve guy who had another MOS when he was on active duty, but he was in reserve unit. He had a chance to go to IOC. So he's like a 38, 39-year-old guy going through IOC, Salonica. And uh, <laughs> so we're doing the stuff, and I don't know. People need to know that uh, during the chaos effects, we hit him at like 0, 230 in the morning. The, some of the lieutenants have been pulled out and briefed, sworn to secrecy to pretend to be certain types of casualties that you would no kidding get from being out in the field, not from gunfire. So they would seem realistic, like real. Broken arm, closed head injury, stick in the eye, that type of shit. And um, so this guy, uh, he had, it was rough. IOC is kicking his fucking ass. We're out there and I was telling Joe, okay, look, Joe, I don't really know where the lieutenants are. They're out there in a D here. You hear them sleeping and shit. The ones are sleeping. They're probably all fucking sleeping. They're exhausted. But you throw an artillery simulator this way, and I'll throw a gas grenade that way. He goes, well, I'll throw the gas. You throw the arty. So, because we, sometimes you can come close to hurting a lieutenant with those arty stems. Right. If you didn't know where their holes were. Right, right, you remember, right, you know. Right. So we're throwing it. And I throw one, bam, it goes off close to Solana guy, and he sits up. And he's got like half his face is green cami, and he's still asleep, but he's having a nightmare turn into a horror, horror attack. He's just going, oh, oh, he's just screaming. And over my shoulder, I see this big fucking gas grenade end over end. It hits him right in the fucking head, man. <laughs> and he's just out. And uh, trying to drag him up, and they're like, Sirs, sirs, this guy's really hurt. We're like, you know, it's the chaos effects, right? They got to deal with it. So I don't know what to do. So I go, yeah, well, what do you want us to do? And they look at us like, Captain Kenny is a dickhead, you know? Well, we looked at him. He you know, had a big lump on his head, Salonica. He made it through, but uh, that was uh, the type of stuff we did. And always, something always happened that was worthwhile on Fex 2.5. You know, it was always good. Yeah, my favorite so my favorite was the Leipard Night Attack, and kind of like Tim, you know, I I I kind of built that thing, um, but I used to love it. Um, watching them, the confidence they gained during Fex 2.5, and learning how to shoot and move at night, uh, learning that you know your bullets will kill you just as quickly as their bullets will, and 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 the situational awareness you had to develop, and and then and then to see their confidence growing, and then. And then when we would, um, we essentially, we closed on an enemy position running, right, in a, in a column of squads. So there was, the, the platoon is online and the squads are in column and they're hauling ass running. And as soon as they make the first contact, they, they deploy, which is what we've been practicing, you know, for the, you know, the, the previous, you know, two and a half, three days. And you see them do it at night. And you see it, and you're like, you feel it, right? I mean, you, you're like, fuck yeah, you want to, you know, you want to hop in the attack uh, with them. Um, and I, I remember being fired up, uh, you know, doing it. And then, you know, even as as instructors, you know, I mean, you could, you know, we'd 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 see each other after the attack, and like, what'd you think? And like, fuck, I love this man. This is awesome. Totally blood, non illuminated, right? Until we make contact. But that was my, that was my favorite. But I, I, I used to love. I, in fact, I had this thing I called the B team, right? We were not like, 
we had like guys who ran wars and things like that. We were like, we loved to teach squad tactics. And it was, you know, it was all of our friends. And I used to call it the B team. And we did not like to do the wars because um, at the time, Bill Lind was on this, you know, it's got to be lieutenant. It's got to be complete free play. And we're like, free play? Oh, shit. Like, like yeah. how are we going to practice the things that we have to, we've trained to? I mean, because shit, they'll get lost and they won't even make contact. And then the ammo turn in is going to take 15 fucking hours, man. Who wants yeah. to be around for that? And, um, and so you, so, the, but, you know, the maneuverists in the mist among us, um, they would have these deep, and we're like, fuck it, we'll be at range five, we'll be at range 11, and we wouldn't sign up for the wars. And it, it, it got, <laughs> it got awkward, and then, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Grider, he comes to me one day, he goes, hey, I need to talk to you. I said, yes, sir. And he said, you, you got to stop this fucking B-team bullshit off. I'm like, well, <laughs> why? We're B-team guys. We're, we do, like, hands-on squad shit and stuff. He goes, you got to get out there for those fucking wars. I said, fuck, I don't want to do the wars, sir. I, they're stupid. They're, you know, I, I hate them. God damn it. You know, this, I said, then let us sit down and let us talk and let us help make it better because they don't listen to us. Yeah. I got to tell you, Mac, though. Before I went to IOC, I was in the EI company. And twice when I was there, Will, who was the company commander, got a chance to be – our company got a chance to fight like a smaller lieutenant company twice. It's the best force on force. And I did some good force on force in my three years as a lieutenant in 3-8. Um, it was the best, though, because it was – you know, we're up against it. At first, we'd have not that many guys. Wait a minute. It was the best for you guys. Yeah, it was the best for us. Well, it was good for the EIs because they had well, Hey, man, I was, I was Fox 90. We fought, yeah. Will. We were the yeah. first company to no, fight. But again, Will. That's, that shit was fun. Yeah, that's yeah. good because you're but again, Will. But again, free play with novices who, who, who struggled oh, yeah. to navigate and all the rest of that. You know, yeah. but free play like what you're talking about, it's, it's no. And you sit there and you no, let no, them do their thing. We had, you know, I had well, Duffy and Dave Hine. All, we made sure they got where they wanted to be. We were fighting Will. The lieutenants weren't doing shit. Yeah, but <laughs> we were fighting. When we first started, we were we were way outnumbered Thursday and Friday. Then Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, the EIs got to where we were two thirds of the force that we were against. And we would w- start kicking the fuck out of them, left, right, and center. Then Monday and Tuesday, because w- our guys had to go out and do commitments with other, you know, other companies in the basic school. So we start our Saturday and Sunday was when EI company was like over 120 guys out there. But by the time we ended, there's like usually 30 of us. And there's Will and me and like uh, uh, Woody. Remember Woody uh, England? Remember him? And then after him, uh, um, um, uh, uh, Brian Jimenez. Brian Jimenez, but then also, uh, oh, what's his name? Ralph Dangler. Ralph Dangler. He is a fucking outstanding guy. There, we'd be there fighting in that 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 Yankee D that Tim made the lieutenants dig for punishment. We always ended up in that fucking Yankee D. <laughs> oh man, I can't believe you guys got into that thing ahead of us too. That was fucked up. You know, I'll tell you what. I don't know that I've ever laughed that much in my life as I did those three and a half years I was there. Let me tell you that. I mean, there was, I don't know, there's like 50 captains there and, and we, we were there with, that's when we all met. 
and our friends were there. And man, you would, we would get, I mean, we started, we'd argue like this, right? You'd be out there doing funny shit. And then when we'd be doing ranges, like if we were out doing range 11 or range 5, the art of doing the range, if you were the primary, was you have all these demo pits, right? Well, you didn't blow them on the lieutenants. You waited till one of your friends was not paying attention because he was yelling at a lieutenant and is like right next to this like demo bed. And normally the demo beds would be full of water. It's Quantico, right? And they're a little bit lower. Their holes are full of water. And you're like, okay, hold on, watch Kenny. And he's like, hey, he's chewing somebody's ass, and he moves over. Now you blow like three sticks, three quarter sticks of TNT. You're only supposed to blow one. And you see him jump and water go everywhere. And it's like, God damn it. And it's like, hey, man, you know the rules. <laughs> you got to pay attention, man. You got to pay attention. And come up. But we would, uh, I mean, just laugh our ass off. And it was it was a funny, funny place. The lieutenants always were funny. But, you know, Will's point, I think the most miserable night of my life I spent in Quantico, not too long after I got there, and we were being light infantry, and it was like 36 degrees, and it rained all fucking night. It, and it was just warm enough where it didn't snow. And There's nothing. Oh, my wow. God. And I remember thinking, I think I'm going to die. And I remember looking at my watch, and it was like 2100, 9 o'clock at night. And I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, we got six more, six or seven more hours of this shit. And it was horrible. I saw Fitz. We were in the defense. Brian Fitzgibbons, a buddy of mine, um, a buddy of ours, they were infiltrating, trying to find us. But now it's raining like a son of a bitch. All the rivers are swollen, the fingers you can't even see anymore, right? And so we're like, okay, we need to send up an alum just to, so that they could locate us. And they, we shot the alum, they still couldn't see us. And you're like, we're so fucked. So I see Fitz the next day. Do you remember when they find E.T. in the river? He looks all grave. Oh, yeah. Looks all grave, fucking near death. That's what Fitz looked like. I'm like, Fitz, are you all right? He goes, Mac. <laughs> it was, it was, it was one of the worst nights of my life. <laughs> oh, I said, at least you were moving, you whiny bitch. Why? Why do you look like ET? He goes, I think I almost died this morning. <laughs> but I was like, holy shit, man. You know Greeley, right? Oh yeah. Ted really Ted worked for me at IOC, and I go out to see him at get there at three fifteen in the morning. We're doing the, uh, you know, we do the NBC attack, and Lieutenant, we pile up a shitload of casualties on him. Well, I get there three fifteen. It was fucking miserable weather, and uh, he goes, "Sir, I was trying to call you on my cell phone. I was going to resign my commission <laughs> because this is the most miserable." I go, "Well, I'm glad you didn't get through." I feel better now. I bring him a fucking thermos of coffee, you know, and uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, Remember the tents are all mopped up. We just would pile, pile up their bodies, man. And they'd be trying to drag each other, and uh, yeah, it was funny. What's the What's the funniest thing you remember there? That's hard because so much fucking funny Ooh, shit happened. Man. I think the funniest thing I remember was a mess night. Uh oh. When they set up the slip and slide out in front of Haywood Hall, and Marty Reardon. <laughs> captain wearing a potato chip bag for a hat and a chem light up his ass just running down the slip and slide. <laughs> and believe it or not, he didn't make major, 
so he wouldn't have to be an FBI agent. And there you go. Of course. <laughs> that explains a lot of things. That does. There you go. You want to understand the culture of the FBI? There you go. Marty Rudin. You got to come up with dirt on, Trump, on President Trump. I got a couple ideas. Is there a headline? I'm trying to think. The funniest thing you ever saw. There, I mean, there was a lot of funny shit. I remember Terry Walsh trying to Terry Walsh tried to drive his Subaru up a hill in reverse down by Combat Town with our friend Paul Kennedy in it, and and it wouldn't go. But he wouldn't he wouldn't give in. He'd go back down to the bottom of this finger. He'd throw it in reverse, and he'd just slam on the gas. And you and we're sitting there watching this shit. And going, he's going to roll it. And we're, with our... Paul was going, what are you, pussy? What's the matter with you? <laughs> exactly. Are you but scared? I remember, I I thought, uh, oh, man, I laughed. I, just watching stupid, stupid shit happen. And and then like, predi- predicting like that, it. I was, I was going to say, you shooting Popovich in the ass with that simunition. Yeah. When, when simulations first came out, I think they only had it like 38 caliber or something. And Popovich said, hey, my wife's got a pistol in that caliber. Let's try these out. So he, he loads up this uh, this revolver with these simulation rounds. And this is when they first came out. So they're very, very hot. They kind of, they kind of, but but uh, he goes, okay, hey, Mac, you're not shooting me. I'll shoot you. And you shot Chad Popovich and he asked with that thing and he we went yelled, well we went oh out behind I, we went out yeah. in the field behind IOC and I said I'll yeah. shoot you and then you could shoot me so you know it's like you know like a duel yeah. so it was like all right walk down there and then turn your back to me and I shot it hit him in like the back of his right thigh and he went yeah, down yeah, he, was, he, he went down run. like like he'd been shot with a gun and. Then he, he gets up and he's screaming. He's holding his leg, and he's like, "God damn you!" And I'm like, "I'm like, fuck this! I'm not gonna let you shoot me!" And I take off running for the building. I I don't know. I fired the I fired the pistol in the air or some shit. And he comes in limping. He goes, "God damn! God damn!" And he pulls. You know, he drops his pants, and you know, it's got this white like dot with this flaming pink and it's turning purple and you're like shit man who's maybe they ought to dial this simunition shit down timmy's on the floor i remember timmy being on like on the floor laughing oh my god and he's like i'm gonna piss my pants i'm gonna piss my pants oh shit yeah that was not good and i never did let him shoot me i was like fuck that no, that was what got me laughing. Was you took off, man? Yeah, I was, that was it. Didn't yeah. see you for a couple hours. <laughs> not, hey, look. Get around. <laughs> <laughs> I was not. I was not stupid. I was not stupid. The um, is that? I mean, I think that was probably the most fun I ever had in the Marine Corps. Yeah, without doubt. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I'll tell you, the thing that ruins all of those funny shit for me is the fucking Jim Hall ball. It was a piss your pants thing, man. I mean, you could ask Dave, you could ask Mel, you could ask Jim Hall if he was around. So, you know, it was, uh, it was classic, but it wasn't really field shit, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would say TBS was fun, but William and Company three eight on our deployment. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, first of all, it was a great deployment. You know, Spain, yeah, Corsica, France. 
Good uh, fucking shit. Yeah. Listen Egypt, to that. Israel, Spain. Turkey, Italy. We went everywhere. Hey, we were away up. from the hey, Mew for a couple of months. And it was a good group of people consistently in the company. And uh, great company commander. And, I mean, we, we had an absolutely great time. Uh, we had an admiral. We had an admiral in our company. Admiral, <laughs> admiral Bowser, Lance, a.k.a. Lance Corporal Bowser. That, that was uh, it wasn't funny. It was funny for us at the time. But <laughs> General Blackman and Cut Rowell didn't think it was funny. And then, But it was, we had a guy who uh, went to Natuno. We were the first Americans to be in Natuno military since Anzio. Natuno yeah, we went there for the... 45th, 45th anniversary of Anzio. Yeah. And 89. the vice president, or was he the president? He was no, the it was president. the president. President Bush was there. Was going, and so our ship was like the designated safety pad in case the helicopter needed to divert. So we <laughs> sat off the beach, and then they gave us liberty in the Tuno. And I took the company gunny and a weapons platoon star, and we went to Rome for two days. And so I miss these shenanigans. That's not even a deployment, man. That's like a fucking libo event on on yeah. the, on the backs of the American taxpayers. You guys proud of yourself? Yes. Yeah. Fuck them <laughs> because it was worth it. The whole time we were in the med, the longest at sea period we had was six days. Yeah. <laughs> we went from exercise to Liberty Port to exercise to Liberty Port. The longest at sea period was six days. And you, and you, and and you and needed it. Three, three week legs Australia and back. Three yeah. weeks. And you needed those six days to recuperate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Not Libo again. I don't know that I could take it. Well, Will was the busiest officer because not only did he have to, he have to do liaison with the foreign guys, it's their countries, we're the foreign guys. But also, when we fucked up on Libo, Will had to go and like run down. Cooks and shit, you know, and uh, guys were arrested. Did you have to go? No, you couldn't police up uh, Admiral Bowser because you're still off uh, on that TAD. Yeah, Admiral Lance Corporal Bowser's huge fucking Alex Karras looking um, machine gunner. He fucking threw these. He got drunk. He wanted to go home and see his little. He had a daughter born, and he was. Uh, he tried to get on a yacht and sail it home. He sailed it about six inches into another yacht. And uh, the Navy Shore Patrol tried to manhandle him. So he banged their heads together and threw him in the water. And a Marine Sergeant, Sergeant Binge, one of the Super Squad guys, goes, Bowser. <laughs> yeah, Sergeant Binge, get the fuck off there. Okay. And uh, so he was never allowed to leave the ship after that. He was like a man without a country. <laughs> and when we leave to go op, do ops, we'd say, now, Bowser, don't let the Navy leave us on the beach, which they were known to do. Because... Unlike the fucking Somerset, the last AV thing, if there was a hint of bad fucking seas, they wouldn't take us back. So, um, so Bowser gets court-martialed, and he gets court-martialed. Will's already on his way to Quantico. Captain Ratliff is gone. And so he gets court-martialed there at Lejeune. If you, that's in the, out there by Hospital Point. It's like a big, long hallway, like, like going to see the Wizard of Oz, you know, <laughs> down that hallway. So we get on there. I'm going to testify. Me and Joe Rutledge are going to testify character witness for Bowser. And uh, we can't hardly get in. The place is full of guys from 3-8, not just Lima Company. Thinking, who knew Bowser had so many friends? So we're there, and the fucking judge is like, Lieutenant Colonel, he's got glasses. He's kind of like doing this shit. He goes, Gunny, that's a bailiff, you know. Who are these people? 
Sir, these are Marines from 3rd Battalion, 8th Marines here in support of Admiral, I mean, Lance Corporal Bowser, because his, his nickname was Admiral Bowser. And, uh, and like my glasses, I wore glasses and they were busted because me and Joe Rutledge got into a tiff on that very fucking libo port, punching each other and shit. And so I had him stuck in the side of my head to stay on. And I'm testifying. Well, Lieutenant Kenny, you know, the, and the guy, uh, I'll never forget this guy. In his office, he had his time and grade Lance Corporal uh, warrant up there on the wall from when he was enlisted. I'm thinking, his time and grade Lance Corporal warrant. <laughs> this guy's hurting for fucking uh, I love me shit. But anyway, <laughs> he's a Hispanic fellow, you know, and he's going, uh, you know, uh, Lieutenant Kenny, you got a good you know, background, your prior enlisted guy. And did you go out on that night in the Tuno and go on Liberty? Yes, sir. And did you drink alcohol? Well, yes, sir. And did you behave like a, like a mindless hooligan? I go, well, as a matter of fact, I did, sir. <laughs> he was shocked as a lawyer. You should never ask a question. You don't know the answer to. And, uh, and I go, yeah, me and Lieutenant Rutledge there. And Joe raised his hand. He's sitting out there, you know, and, uh, all right, all right, no more questions. So, Bowser, all we want to do is make, keep him from getting a bad discharge, and we did. Well, that was the story of Admiral Bowser. Hey, I um, did you, you know, speaking of Manzio, did you ever, did Major General Allen ever tell you the story about his father and his father's destroyer at Anzio? No. I, I, oh. Yeah, I have. I've heard, I heard it, yeah. His father's what, Timmy, the gunnery officer or the XO of whatever destroyer this is? And I've got to be the gunnery officer. And they're, I'm, off, I'm, they're off the coast, you know, during the Anzio invasion, and they, they, they identify or they're listening to radio traffic. There's a German armored counterattack going on and coming down like the coast road, you know, to attack, you know, the, the, the northern flank of the beachhead. And he takes the fucking destroyer in. And he's up in the crow's nest, and he gets shot and, 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 uh, and wounded, and, you know, Major Allen's dad goes up there. And they fight, wow. they d- fight the destroyer in direct, right, in the direct fire mode against fucking... German armor counterattack. That's that's old core navy, man. Yeah, the sad part is they probably closed the beach closer than any amphib in the current navy has ever been. <laughs> oh, yeah. No Absolutely. shit. And and listen to this. I I get a I get an email. Hey Mac, is it too late to join your post-traumatic winning seminar? I live in Perth, Australia. I heard about it from somebody. Blah blah blah. I said no. Give me a call. So, um. This woman's name is Lynn. And so she said, you know, and she starts talking to me about trauma in her life. She said, you know, I lived in a house that, you know, um, where there's trauma present constantly. And I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, my dad is a World War II veteran from the, uh, you know, Royal Australian Army. And uh, he fought at Dunkirk. I said, oh, shit. And I said, really? And he, she said, yeah, he was fortunate enough to, to, to be one of the guys who got off the beach and got back to England. And he said, but he, she said he never slept at night. He would tinker with stuff, and he, would stay, he stayed away all night because um, he couldn't sleep. The night scared, scared him for his, 
you know, the rest of his entire life. And hmm. I was like, holy shit. I said, do you know very much about Dunkirk? Have you read about it? And she said, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, that was no joke. I mean, how you would ever be right in the head after that, I'm not exactly sure. And she yeah. said, well, you know, my dad was a, a, a wonderful man. He just didn't sleep at night. And it, it was, it, and she said, I wish I would have. I used to, as a teenager, it used to make me mad because, you know, he would ask us to turn our music down during the days if he was trying to sleep or something like that. She said, and I didn't, I didn't learn years later until what actually happened at Dunkirk. Yeah. I said, yeah, that was no joke. Yeah, you know, General Allen's wife's dad was the CEO of 25th Marines in Saipan, Iwo Jima. What's his name? That's right. His name's um, Batchelder. Batchelder. Yeah. That's a Marine Corps, and, uh, na- that's a Marine Corps name right been, there. Yeah, I think he might have been the ch- chief of staff for the uh, 5th, 4th Marine Division for Iwo. Like, he transitioned. But he was uh, no shit for Saipan. He was a 25th Marines regimental CEO. Wow. Wow. Yeah. He's, General Allen must have been a big Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> hey, want to hear some horror stories? We got to play. <laughs> uh, that's funny. That's funny. The um, All right. What are you reading? Jeff, what are you reading? Well, I'm using it to keep the my computer from getting too hot. But it's one of the books I found in my boxes. It's by <laughs> Tucker Carlson's Ship of Fools. 2018 book about um, how Trump got elected because of uh, the basically the, the hubris of um, both Republican and Democratic candidates who overlooked the voters' real concerns in 2016. Got it. Got it. How far are you into it? Is it good? Yes, it's very good. Like, for instance, little tidbits that Tucker puts in there. Um, did you know when the evacuation of Vietnam went, some very prominent California pro- politicians did their best to keep the South Vietnamese refugees from coming here. And their names were Jerry Brown, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Dianne Feinstein. Um, what? Because they said California has too many unemployed of its own. Also, they were against in those days. They were dead set against illegal immigration. <laughs> Matter of fact, according to Tucker, the man who coined the phrase and popularized the term wetback, was none other than um, Cesar Chavez. Cesar Chavez, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. And, uh, you know, and so uh, it's just that uh, you'd never know that now, you know, to hear th- their coverage. You'd think that, you know, journalists would want to say, far cry from how it was back, you know, <laughs> you know, but now they seem to, their tune has changed. And, uh, and it's good, you know, reading a guy who's scholarly like that. So there's a lot of good tidbits like that in there but it ends in 2018 you know so it's it's prior to the latest abomination although some of the stuff like here's trump the biggest he you could see tucker's like the only reason we got a guy like trump is not so much because of his his attributes but because of the you know the arrogance of the uh the democrats particularly hillary clinton and uh you know people like bernie sanders they just were they just took for granted you know, uh, that certain people are going to vote certain ways no matter what. And that wasn't true. And, uh, you know, that, that to me is, uh, you know, is uh, instructive. And then again, uh, but like I say, it ends in 2018 before the, la- the latest bunch of stuff. But the idea that Trump, the biggest germaphobe probably there is, would have 
Russian hookers piss on him or that he would piss on Russian hookers is you, you, you wonder about the fucking brains of the uh, you know, people who are making up these narratives. At least do something that's like at least fits the reality of the thing. You're going to tell a lie. Everybody knows all liars know if you're going to tell a lie, you want to make it as close to the truth as possible so you can remember it. All right. <laughs> we know that. Um, Timmy, how about you? What do you read? Well, I've, I've finished that American War in Afghanistan by Carter Malkazian. Uh, and uh, it, it filled in some blanks for me. It's a pretty good grand narrative of the overall how we got involved in there and stayed in there for 20 years. Given the current news coming out about Afghanistan, it's just uh, it's too damn depressing. But it, for those of you who care and want to understand how we got how that whole thing came about, I would recommend it. And then I did something that I've thought about doing a while ago. I have on several occasions tried to remember the face of battle, the the book. I'm I'm yeah. casting around for the title of the book. I'm trying to remember because of some point I'm trying to make. And I I haven't read the face of battle since we were in Quantico. And I started, I, I, I got it down and started reading again. And it's like reading a different book. God damn. You it's 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 just amazing to get so much more out of it now than I did at the time. And I devoured that thing because it was a, it had a lot to do with what I was interested in um, uh, at the time, i.e. training infantrymen. But boy, it's a different book now when you read it from from uh, from so many years removed and still an awesome classic. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I'll have to write that down and, and do that. Will, how about you? What do you read? Uh, I'm reading the uh, the first book in uh, the trilogy about the Army of World War II, Army of Dawn. So they just uh, they just took Tunis. So this book is coming to an end. Uh, Rick Atkinson is the author, and I, I think you guys have all read it. It's yeah, it's really very very well done. And uh, what makes it somewhat more interesting to me, you know, is uh, the army really got the crap kicked out of them in Tunisia. They learned a lot from it, but they suffered uh, some very, very high casualties. And, you know, to think that uh, Tarawa was so shocking uh, to people because of the high casualties caused by Marines, uh, we didn't hold a candle to some of these army units uh, in taking casualties. And, uh, but the guy, you can see how he's setting up the narrative. Let me. So I have a question for you about that. Do you mean period? Do you mean during the first part of the war? Um, oh, in, in individual battles, in individual, you know, two day to ten day sort of periods of battles. Even in North Africa against the French, well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, some of these divisions took a thousand, fifteen hundred killed. Uh, in a couple of days, because, you know, the, for the most part, they're pounding uphill in the desert, uh, desert mountains against entrenched infantry with uh, registered targets. Uh, and they and we had inferior equipment as well. Um, and their and their the and their opponent was not bad either. Yeah. Uh, you know, even the Italians in the defense there. uh were good. Uh, our air power hadn't been brought to bear. We had inferior tanks. 
and really took a lot of casualties and we were stupid. They, we didn't fight combined arms. They didn't coordinate. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I pulled one little nugget out of there that reminded me of our time. Um, Eisenhower had the whole mob together and they sat for a couple of hours trying to draw out the command structure. And they couldn't do it. No, none of the senior leadership actually understood which units belonged to who, when, and how. And they'd mixed up French, British, American. They chopped First Armored Division up and they had it spread out in nine different, and I thought, and Eisenhower, and I forget the quote from the book, but it's like, you know, this is the worst thing that's ever been done in the history of warfare. And we just went ahead and did the same thing, you know, in the last 20 years. Uh, yep. Consistently having lack of, uh, particularly in Afghanistan, with all foreigners, not knowing who was really doing what. Yeah. Yada, yada. So just. Uh, so true. The, this guy, this, you can tell this series, I mean, he won a Pulitzer Prize for it. And I don't know why I never read it before, but it's just very, very well done. Did you Good get narrative and a lot of detail that you didn't know, but you, it doesn't bog down in any particular place. Get the part where General, uh, God damn it, he's a General uh, Buck Naked. Oh, the assistant division commander, guy got Buck hit Naked? by the 88s. No, he's, a, he's in charge of training for the U.S. Army. He's visiting. McNair. Uh, McNair, yeah, he gets hit. Yeah. And he's he's watching the Big Red One, and General Allen and General Roosevelt are telling him, don't go. So the Germans got this reverse slope thing. They shoot 81s at the trees. No, you need to be on the, 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 for, the military crest. And he gets hit, and uh, he says... Patton says to him in his stretcher, what happened, Leslie? I misjudged my Duffalo. <laughs> Great quote. <laughs> but but Rick Atkinson is a, is is skating into a in the shitless territory because it's been three years since he put out the first Revolutionary War book and, and the world waits for the second. And I know like a year ago, he was putting on his website. Stop bitching at me about the second book. It's going to come, you know. I know he's. I know he. I, I'm not the only person saying it, but that first book on the Revolutionary War was an awesome, awesome yeah. writing. He's, he's a great writer. He is to yeah, the army, you know, tall and hornfisher to the navy for sure. Modern historians. So they might be. They might have emulated him. As a matter of fact. Yeah. 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 Very well, may have. Yeah. Anyways. All right, boys. Uh, Will, when you head home. Uh, I will be in Oklahoma when this show plays tomorrow. Got it. On my earthbound. All right. All right. All right, boys. We'll always appreciate the visit. Have a great day. All right. All right, man. You have a good one, too, brother. Have a good one, guys. I'm out here. That is, in fact, the Mensa Brothers. And more of All Marine Radio coming up next, right here on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network. That'll do it on a Thursday.
Kim and Greg Lotus will join me tomorrow, I think. They said they would. So looking forward to that. Uh, I got an email about surface warfare officers. Um, and let me just tell you this. I mean, surface warfare officers are the infantry officers of the Navy. They are the, they are the backbone of the United States Navy, as are infantry officers. And it's not for everybody. I'd be curious to see what infantry officer retention statistics are, how high they are. So, um, but again, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for everybody. And, and, and I get the sense that the Navy wants to make it easy to do to be a ship driver. It's not fucking easy. And, and during your deployments, you know, if you're getting, you know, four hours of sleep at a stretch and you do that, you know, a couple times a day or a version of that and you're getting six hours of sleep, you know, a day, a night. You know, that, again, that's what you signed up for. If you don't want that, then go someplace else. But if you want to be in charge, right? Now, I, I, I would tell you this. I could tell you that, that, you know, I spent three years in Iraq and Afghanistan. And you find a way to sleep. Everybody does. It's a bodily function. You have to. And so I, I'd be curious to follow the junior officers, service officers of the Navy around to hear these claims that they're working 20 hours a day. That's bullshit. They're not. And if you have to get four hours of sleep at one stretch because you've got to go supervise something and then you get two or three later on, then okay, I got it. It's not ideal. No shit, it's not ideal. You want ideal? Go to the civilian sector. But that's what's good. Just, just like the PFT, we're going to find a way to make it so everybody could do it. And what you're seeing from the Navy, by their not a whole lot of movement to change that, is you're seeing the community, especially the surface warfare officer community, saying, yeah, they're, they're whiny shits. Yeah, if it was easy, everybody could do it. And that's what they want. You're going to get to sleep eight hours, you you know, come out and do your thing, and it won't be too hard, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, good luck to you if that's what you want. Yeah, don't join the military. Hello. Anyway, this program repeats itself momentarily. Yeah, it does. And uh, so if you missed the, there's there's a lot of stuff in the news, I would tell you. And we go over that, talk about that. And so, um, don't touch that dial. This fine program continues momentarily. So, I hope you have a great Thursday. And we will be back here from the new studio tomorrow. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. So, I'm out. If I can help you... Help somebody else, let me know. I'd be more than happy to do that. On that note, have a great Thursday. We'll see you tomorrow.